Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Wow. Was that not incredible? Yeah. <clears throat> I'll tell you, there's uh, no other place I'd rather be at Christmas time than Stevens Creek Church and Todd and his team just uh, really raise the bar every year. So I want you to be back next Sunday. They're going to release a new song next Sunday. And so it's going to be great. So the fact that you're here today means that you made it through Black Friday. That's, it seems like that's all we've heard about, right? How many of you actually went out shopping on Black Friday? Anybody here? Got a few of you. Okay. Anybody logged on and did Christmas shopping online? Anybody onlineers? Okay. That's growing every year. You know, uh, the other day, Patty came home from Christmas shopping and she had a beautiful dress, and it just happened to be her size. And I said, Patty, I thought you were going out to buy gifts for other people. She said, well, I saw this, and I tried it on, and as I was looking in the mirror, uh, it was like Satan himself said, buy this dress. It looks good on you. Buy this dress. It look-. I said, Patty, I said, you're a church of God pastor's wife. I said, you know how to deal with the devil? You should have said, get thee behind me, Satan. She said, Marty, I did. I promise I did. And he said, ooh, it looks good from back here too. Well, today we're starting our brand new Christmas series called Glory. You know, glory is a word that we're going to use over and over during the holiday season. We'll, We'll see it written. We'll read it. We'll sing that word. But really, what does it mean? What is the glory of Christmas or what is the the glory of God? So every week we're going to be looking at that word and and trying to understand it. We understand that God's glory is really his presence. It's his essence of who he is. But we also know that when we give glory, we're giving honor and we're giving praise. And so this series is going to help us to understand it a little bit better to make Christmas more meaningful for us. So let's get started. How many of you have ever been asked to do something that when you were asked to do it, you thought, man, there's no way. It is impossible. Or maybe you felt like that you're in a situation that you were just in way over your head. Well, it could have been that that first day you went to calculus class and then they put out all the problems on the board and you're thinking, man, there is no way I'm going to pass this class. Or maybe for some of you, it was the day the boss left the company and that you were given her responsibilities, and now you're trying to do her work, and you're thinking, there's no way, I can't do this. Or maybe you felt like you were in over your head when you had to handle something, and, and uh, part of your responsibilities were to keep things quiet when you so wanted to say something. It was almost impossible. You know, at times, all of us have been placed in situations where we feel like that we are in over our heads. And if you know that feeling, then maybe you can relate to a Bible story that we're going to talk about over the next few minutes. In Exodus, that's in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 33, we see Moses was in a very difficult situation where he was called to lead 
a group of people that the Bible describes as a stiff-necked, arrogant, and haughty group of people. Here's the backdrop of the story. God raised up Moses as a, as a leader to deliver the children of Israel out of slavery. So he came in to Pharaoh and had a number of miraculous plagues. Eventually they were released. They were headed toward the promised land and they found themselves at the edge of the Red Sea. God in his miraculous power parted the Red Sea. So these people went over on dry ground. As they were going through the wilderness, God uh, supplied all of their needs. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes did not wear out. He provided food for them every day. When they were thirsty, there have been times where uh, he caused water to come out of the rock so that they would quench their thirst. And so they were a part of this miraculous adventure headed to the promised land. And in this part of the story, in chapter 32, they're camped at Mount Sinai. They're around the base of the mountain, and God called Moses up to uh, the top of the mountain. And while he was there, God was given Moses the Ten Commandments. These Ten Commandments were being chiseled out by the Lord's hand uh, on stone tablets. And as he was given uh, Moses these Ten Commandments, he told Moses it was time for him to go back down the mountain because the people had become corrupt. So Moses starts on this journey down the mountain carrying these stone tablets. When he got down toward the, mount, uh, toward the base of the mountain, he recognized that the people, while he was in the presence of the Lord, the people had drifted. They had gone back into their old way of living. And as he made it down the mountain, he saw these people, they had made this golden calf and they were dancing around it. And this infuriated him. To the point where Moses took the tablets and he, he tossed them aside, causing them to break in a number of pieces. He was furious. He went to his brother Aaron, who was left in charge. He said, what are you thinking? What are you doing here? How did you let this happen? He said, well, it just we just threw the gold earrings and stuff into the fire and out came this calf. He made excuses. Well, we pick up the story in verse 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, he said, you've committed this great sin, but I will go up to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And Moses went uh, to God and asked for forgiveness. And the Lord responded to Moses by saying this, now go, I want you to lead the people. Moses, I want you to go lead the people. Moses, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. Have you ever been asked to do something that you felt like it was impossible? Moses felt like this was one of those times. How could he lead these people after what they have done? Now, practically speaking, Moses was tired and he was worn out. He had just come from the top of the mountain. In addition to that, he had not eaten any food in 40 days. And so, he had just walked from the top of the mountain down to the camp. 
He was tired. He was hungry. He was frustrated with his brother Aaron for allowing things to get out of control. He was disappointed in the people that he loved. And he was overwhelmed by the responsibility that he was given to lead. So what do you do when the job is too big? What do you do when the obstacles are too great? What do you do when your family and your friends have disappointed you? What do you do when you want to quit, but you just know you can't? Well, Moses did the only thing that he knew to do. Moses went to a place of prayer. Moses had a special place that he would go pray. Do you have one? Do you have that special place where you can get alone and it's just you and God having a conversation? Moses had this special tent. It was outside of the camp where he would go. The Bible calls it the tent of meeting. And the Bible says that when Moses went to the tent to pray, that a pillar of cloud would come and would rest at the entrance of the tent while the Lord was speaking to Moses. Verse 10, it says, Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and they worshiped each at the entrance of their own tents. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as he would a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but the young aide, his assistant Joshua, would say, uh, would not leave the tent. And so here we see Moses is having this conversation. What, what do you think he would say to God in this conversation, in this prayer? What we see here is Moses asked God for four things. And over the next few minutes, we're going to talk about these four things that he asked. The first thing that he asked God was this. He said, would you please send someone to help me? Send someone to help me. In verse 12, the next verse, he said, Moses said to the Lord, said, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. Moses knew that this task was bigger than him. It was bigger than he could handle on his own. And he felt the weight of this responsibility. Some of you know that feeling. You feel like you're in over your head and you feel the weight of the responsibility that you've been given. Moses felt the weight of this, and he was asking God, would you please send someone to help me? You know, God does his best work in teams. When you go throughout the Bible, you'll often see teams of people that are are assigned to task. In the New Testament, you'll see like Peter, James, and John, they were a team. Or maybe you'd see Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas, they become their teams God would send people out in teams to do his work. And and here we see Moses is saying, I need help. Moses understood the scriptures when he said that two are better than one because they've got a good return for their labor. And he knew he needed help. So his very first prayer was to send somebody to go along with me. Maybe that's what you need to pray. Could it be that some of you are trying to do something that you, you just can't do, that you need help? And so many times when I'm in that situation, I have this tendency not to ask somebody to help me. I would say, okay, I'll just buck up and I'll just do it. 
Could it be that the very thing that you're trying to do is really a bigger job than just one person, but yet you are wearing yourself out trying to do this job, trying to prove that you can do it? Moses just owned it, said, I can't do this on my own. I've got to have help. That was his first prayer. Here's the second prayer. He said, teach me what I need to know. Moses had never been in this situation before, and not only did he need somebody to help, but he needed wisdom, he needed insight. Verse 13 says, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you. Every good leader is a learner. There are no exceptions. If you're leading in a classroom, if you're caring for kids in a stay-at-home um, parent situation, if you're serving in customer service at work, you're leading somebody. And to do it more effectively, you've got to keep on sharpening your skills. You've got to keep on learning. When you stop learning, when you stop growing, you start dying. It's that simple. It's no ma- it doesn't matter how old you are that we, as leaders, have to be learners. So what are you doing to sharpen your skills? When was the last time you read a book? How about as we start the new year that you set a goal to read a book, to expand your horizons, to think new thoughts, study a fresh topic, learn a new skill, start a new Bible study. Proverbs tells us that wise men and women are always learning and they're always listening for fresh insights. Every good leader is a learner. And so one of the most important roles you have in life is that you are a disciple. A disciple simply means learner. You are a student. And if you're going to go to the next level, you've got to prepare yourself for um, for that step. Moses did that. He said, God, teach me your way so that I can know you. Here's the third prayer that he prayed. He said, give me the strength to do the task. Verse 13, if you're pleased with me, teach me your way so that I may know you. And then notice this is and continue to find favor with you. God, I need your favor. Give me favor. Now, what is God's favor? God's favor is when he gives you the ability to do something that is humanly impossible for you to do. It's that force that will take you where you could not go on your own. Favor is when God opens the doors that you just simply can't open. There are some of you that you've been knocking on a door. Week after week, you're trying to open that door and it's not opening. One touch of God's favor can open doors that you thought were forever closed. Favor is when God opens those doors. It's when God takes you from the background to the foreground. And when, when we think about uh, the definition of favor, one such definition is to endorse or to bring to prominence or to, to give notoriety. Several years ago, Oprah Winfrey burst on the scene when she started a book club. Now, in the early days, when she endorsed a book, and Oprah would hold up the book and say, this is a good book, you need to go buy it. 
her words would take a normally a good book that would sell maybe a few thousand copies. And that when Oprah would hold it up and say, this is a good book, you need to go buy it. Instead of a few thousand copies would be sold, hundreds of thousands of copies would be sold. And so authors would want Oprah's endorsement. I think we would all want Oprah's endorsement, wouldn't we? But think about this. Oprah's endorsement would be nice But God's endorsement on your life is so much bigger than that. It is so much bigger than you could imagine. When God endorses you, when God breathes his favor on you, things will happen that you could not make happen. Opportunities will open that you never dreamed would open. The right people will come and the right people will track you down. It's the favor of the Lord. You were not in line for the promotion, but you got it anyway. On paper, it didn't make sense, but the loan came through. That's the favor of the Lord. That person that has been working against you, something has happened. They've changed, and now they're your, your advocate. It's not a coincidence. It is God working behind the scenes in your life to bring his favor to you. I think that the favor of God will change your life. When you honor God, when you put him in first place, you will start to see his favor unfold. You'll see his blessing, the blessings of the Lord. And his blessings have a way of pushing you up when everybody else is going down. Now, his favor doesn't mean you won't have challenges, it won't, you won't have difficulty. Sometimes God will allow you to go through the difficulty so that you can see his favor unfold in your life. His favor can change your life. People can doubt what you say, but they will not be able to deny what they see. They will see you getting the promotion. They will see you getting the recognition. They will see you graduating with honors. They will see you breaking that addiction, being healed of cancer. They will see, when they see these things happen, they will see the hand of God on your life. Moses knew he needed help. And Moses knew that he needed the favor of God. He needed that divine favor to go before him and open the doors that he could not open. Here's the fourth thing he prayed that day. He said, stay with me along the way. Stay with me, God. In verse 13, he said, remember that this nation, this is your people. And so I need you to stick with me. Moses prayed. And God answered with these words. He said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said, wait a minute, let me be clear here. I can't do this without you. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. Don't let us leave. We must have your presence. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked. And this moment, God is reassuring this leader. He's reassuring Moses that you're not alone. Remember, at this point in Moses' life, 
He was tired. He was worn out. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. He had come from the top of Mount Sinai carrying stone tablets down to the base of the mountain. He was disappointed in his brother, and he was frustrated with the people. And God is looking at him in that situation. He said, Moses, I want you to remember that you are not alone. You're not by yourself. Could it be that those are God's words for you today? That in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your, uh, uh, the place you find yourself, that place where you're wa- worn out and you're tired and you're frustrated and you're disappointed in your family members and you're disappointed uh, in the people that supported you. And God is saying to you, you are not alone. I am going with you. Hear that. You are not alone but God is going to be with you. Now Moses concluded this prayer with one of the most unusual requests in all of the Bible. In verse 18, Moses said, Now God, show me your glory. Very unusual request. What is the glory of God? We know it's his presence. We know a lot about that. But what is the glory of God? Your glory is what you are best at. It is what you are known for. LeBron James is known for his basketball skills. That's where he gets glory. The Georgia Bulldogs are known for their football. That's where they get glory. Glory. In fact, they sing about it all the time. Glory, glory to old Georgia. Isn't that how it goes? Glory, glory to old Georgia. Glory, glory to G-E-O-R-G-I-A. Something like that. You know, in sports, we like to talk about the glory days, right? We like to talk about the glory, the high water marks. Now, if, if you are a Clemson fan, you've got to understand this. You are living in the glory days. You are living in the glory. These are the glory days, okay? When I was growing up, you know, they like to talk about the glory days of Clemson when Frank uh, Howard was there and you would go touch Howard's rock, you know. Or or maybe uh, uh, as uh, time uh, unfolded, uh, Danny Ford came on the scene. And then for years, they want to talk about the glory days of Danny Ford. And and my dad would tell me, yeah, he he bought a farm back up in Clemson. You know, I hear all about the glory days of Danny Ford. But let me say this, Dabo Sweeney is what you're known for. The glory days are now. And so, Moses said, show me your glory. He's saying to God, God, tell me what you're known for. Tell me what you're best at. What are you known for? Very interesting here. Verse 19, And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. This is what God is known for. God is known for his goodness. God's glory is God's goodness. To say that God is good means that he acts according to what is right and what is true and what is decent. That God is loving and God is kind and God is fair and God is just and God is good. 
In the church world, we like to say it like this, that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. So here's the point. We experience the glory of God when we recognize the goodness of God. We experience the glory of God when we recognize the goodness of God. Have you ever noticed that when a plane crashes or goes down, that inevitably there's a, there's a reporter that finds a story, and it's the story of a person that was supposed to be on that plane. And maybe that person was not on the plane because the alarm, their alarm didn't go off. Or maybe they changed uh, their plans at the last moment. Or maybe they were caught in a traffic jam and they didn't make it on the plane. And then they hear that the plane has gone down and they, everybody says, oh, isn't God good? Isn't God good? We say that when we hear reports about people who strangely avoided doom. A woman has car trouble. And this car trouble um, causes her to avoid a fatal 12-car pileup on the interstate. And we say, wow, isn't God good? Several years ago, my dad uh, was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Now, while he was being treated, the doctors discovered that he had a rare bone cancer that could be cured if you found it early enough, and they found this early enough, and he had surgery, and he was cured of that. And we walked away and said, wow, isn't God good? But is this why God is good? If God had not spared my dad's life, would God still be good? What about the people who died in the interstate pile up? Isn't God good? What about the people diagnosed with stage four cancer and died weeks later because their cancer was discovered too late? Isn't God good? Now, my instincts when I would hear that would say, no, no, no. It doesn't make sense to draw attention to God's goodness in a situation that seems so opposite of good. But here's the point. The Bible doesn't say, just say that God does good things. It says that God is good. It's not just what he does. It is who he is. That God is a good God and he never changes. That's why Psalm 46 and 1 says that God is our refuge and God is our strength. And he is an ever-present help. In time of trouble, an ever present, ever present. God is good all the time. So here's the big idea for the day. This is what you need to go home with. In the middle of the storm, God stays closer to us than the storm ever could. In the middle of the storm, God stays closer to us than the storm ever could. And that's why we can say with absolute confidence that God is good. That's why we can say that no matter how bad the storm is, no matter how much pain we experience, no matter how different the outcome is from what we had prayed for, that God is a good God. And in the hardest moments of your life, 
God comes close. He comes close to you and he doesn't change and he doesn't falter and he doesn't quit and he doesn't leave and he doesn't let go. That God is good to those people who died in the car wreck and those people who survived it. That God is good to those parents that have disobedient children and those parents that have uh, kids that fall in line. God is good to that infertile woman and God is good to that woman that has all the kids that she wants. God is good to that person that loses his house in a house fire and God is good to that person whose house does not burn down. God is good to the single person and God is good to the married person. God is good to that person who loses his job or her job in corporate downsizing and he is good to that person that gets a promotion. God is good because when the storms of life hit, he comes closer than the storm could ever be. God is not good because of what he does. He's good because of who he is. Now, what is what are we saying here? We're saying that God is good and that so often in life, bad things happen to us and bad things happen to good people. And what we see in that is that we see the battle between good and evil on this earth. That Jesus comes to give life, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But even so, when the bad things happen, God starts working behind the scenes to turn those bad situations around and to bring something good out of it. So yes, some of you are facing difficulty. Some of you are going through pain. Some of you are going through uh, challenging situations. Some of you are in the midst of impossible situations. And I would say to you, call on the name of the Lord and then start looking for something good to happen. Because God is working behind the scenes to turn this situation around and to bring something good out of it because that's who God is. And when Moses said, God, show me your glory, show me what you're known for, God responds, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will bring something good out of this because I'm going to give you my name. We know that the name of the Lord is the most powerful words in your vocabulary. That at the name of Jesus, lives are changed. At the name of Jesus, circumstances are redirected. At the name of Jesus, people are set free. And he is saying that I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I believe that God is here to proclaim his name in your life. He is here to proclaim his goodness. He is here to bring help. So what is it that you need? What do you need God to do? What is that impossible situation? What is that, that situation where you feel like you are in over your head and you can never get out of it? What is that thing? And I would say to you, call on his name. Ask him. 
Maybe it's a simple prayer like, God, help me, or God, direct me, or God, save me, or God, heal me, or God, protect me, protect my family. What is that thing that you need God to do in your life? He is here today to pass in front of us, to bring his goodness, to declare his name, and to bring help to you. In a few minutes, we're going to pray. And I just want you to tell God what you need. I want you to say, God, I need, and just name that. The Bible says that he's got ears that will hear, and his arm is not too short that it not, can't reach down and save. So what is it that you need? He is here to bring help. So you're ready to pray? Let's all stand together and let's prepare our hearts for prayer as we stand in his presence today. I want you to bring your request to him. What is it that you need God to do? And I'm gonna pray over you that God will answer your prayer. But here's what I, I want you to do. I want you to join with me at a point where we not only speak words, but we let our body language communicate. Okay, here's what I mean. That we're going to get to a place of prayer and that we're going to say, God, I'm going to, I'll, I receive what you have for me. And that we're going to put our hands out if you feel comfortable in doing this. And, and just with your body language, say, God, I receive what you have for me. That we're not only asking, but in faith, we are receiving what he has. So you ready to pray now? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I am standing before a group of people that have needs. There are people watching online right now that, that you are in desperate situations. Today, I want you just to uh, confess that to the Lord. Say, God, I need help. And just name what kind of help you need. Or God, I need protection. Or God, just name that. Or I need to be saved. If you haven't been saved, say, Jesus, save me. God, we're calling out your name and we're asking you to move in this situation that you would bring help, you would bring hope. We are crying out to you now, Lord. We give you this situation. Please help us. Now, Father, in faith, we say to you, we receive what you have for us. Say that. Say, God, I receive what you have for me. I receive your peace. I receive your help. I receive your insight. I receive your strength. I receive your salvation. I just receive this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Let's give him praise today. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for coming today. I want you to invite a friend and join him for our second installment of our Glory Series, which will be next Sunday. Hope you have a great week. Be blessed. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.